Welcome to Mercy Street Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Mercy Street Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing to listen to new messages every week. Have a God-filled day. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Um, if you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible underneath the seat that is in front of you or right next to you. And please take that Bible home. That is a gift to us from Mercy Street Church. If you do not know how to read that Bible, don't worry about it. Come and see me afterwards, and I will show you how to dissect the Word of God. Amen? Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 26. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 26, and it reads as follows. While he was still saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute player And the crowd making commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. Eternal Father, I just pray that my words and my heart is acceptable to you today. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would do a work today, not only in me, but also to my brothers and sisters who are under the sound of my voice. And I pray, Father God, that we will be transformed. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints say, this is a tough sermon for me. And the reason why it's tough, because I have to share a story with you that I really don't want to. This story is still kind of connected to some shame and some pain, and yet I think this story is applicable for the text that we have read. Definitely encouraged by my wife to share this story and encouraged by some brothers and sisters who are also going through the same thing, and so um, just pray for me as I share this story. Um, On December 10th, 2018, um, I went to the doctor. And the reason why I went to the doctor is because I was experiencing several health issues. Let me be a little more specific. I was constantly getting tired. And if any of you all know me, you know I am like the energizer bunny. I can just keep going. But I kept getting tired. In fact, Two o'clock every day, I would just shut down, and I wouldn't wake back up until like six. The other issue I had was I was thirsty all the time. 
no matter how much water I consume, I couldn't seem to quench my thirst. And then probably the most gaping issue was that I, I was experiencing this burning sensation in my feet, especially at night. It was like my feet was on fire, and no matter what I did, I couldn't find any comfort. And so I was standing before the doctor, and I told him all these symptoms, and he says, well, uh, Pastor Jerry, let's do some blood work first. And so they did all these blood work on me, and I got to a point where the guy has stuck me several times with the needle, and I said, brother, if you stick me one more time, I'm going to stick you. He said, brother, I'm just trying to find a vein. I'm like, hey, bro, how long have you been doing this? But it was serious. And so they did the blood test. Somewhere around Christmas, the test came back. And I saw what the test said, and I went back to the doctor. And what it said was that my hemoglobin, my A1C blood, was off the chart. In other words, they said I had type 2 diabetes. And he began to use words like managing. And he began to use words like progressive. And he began to use words like um, inheritance. All these different things. And, and all I heard was death. You just told me that there's something wrong with my insulin. And that my insulin does not communicate to my cells. And then my cells don't communicate to my pancreas. And my pancreas is trying to unload stuff. And it doesn't know where to unload it. So it's just putting all this stuff in my gut. And so he prescribed to me this drug called metformin. And he said, just take this two times a, a day and um, it, it, it will help you. And, and you know, it's not going to cure it, although he didn't use those words. He just simply said, a lot of people go through this and you will be all right. And I walked away from that doctor's appointment and I was messed up. I'm an athlete, man. I don't suffer through diabetes. Dude, I can jump. I can run. I, I used to have muscles for days. Like, I used to live without a shirt. <laughs> I, ain't even, I ain't even buy shirts. All I bought was drawers and pants. <laughs> bro, you want a shirt with that? No, nah, I'm cool, bro. <laughs> and this man just told me that I have diabetes. Well, most of you all know I, I went to the lake house just to get away. My wife told me to get away, and I just fell on my knees, and I began to pray. Not only did I pray, but I fasted. And I began to ask God, what on earth? Help me understand. Help me make sense of this. Because if you have a mission for me, how on earth did I attract such a disease? And it was like this sense of awakening in me that he began to take me all the way back to the original faith. The times that I would believe God despite what the doctors or the diagnosis would say. And as soon as I felt that, I said, I know what to do. 
man, I read everything on diabetes. I, I, I bought stuff. I read stuff. I, I was watching videos like crazy. And guess what I found out? That diabetes type 2 is not a death sentence. In fact, it's a dietary issue, not a progressive issue. You don't pass on diabetes, you pass on recipes. Come on now. Like, it's not hereditary. Like, it doesn't go down the line just because you get it. No, all you do is pass on greens and ham hocks and, and ham and, and chitlins and all these different things. And as soon as I figured that out, I said, this is over food? I said, I ain't about to die over no ham hock, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, the, I'm not about to die on Whataburger. Whataburger ain't doing nothing in my life. How on earth am I going to die over a number two? I went to work. All I ate was baby spinach. All I drunk was water. I, man, I fasted for 18 hours a day. I went to work. My wife got to a point, she was like, baby, you go eat. I said, not today. I learned that metformin doesn't remove the sugar from your blood. All it does is it puts it in other places of your body. Why would I put that in my body? I began to take cinnamon tablets, and I began to take turmeric, and I began to take milk thistle. I couldn't even pronounce half of these things. I began to take vitamin E and vitamin C to replenish some of the things that my body, my body had been depleted of. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. You see, then March 1st, I show back up to the doctor. I took everything off but my underwear and stepped on that scale. <laughs> he like, sir, this, you, you don't need to take all. I said, bro, wait, me. <laughs> I went from 336 pounds to 272 pounds. <laughs> In a couple of months. The doctor walked into the office and was like, what on earth happened to you? I said, brother, you told me I was going to die. You told me I was going to die. But what you thought and what my faith thought was on two different playing fields. They took, they took tests. Guess what happened to the test when they came back? No insulin resistance when they looked at my liver you know what he was scratching his head because he like are you the same person I said man look I got a sexy wife I got four kids I got a church that I gotta leave I'm not about to die over no food brother the reason why I'm telling you this story is because your faith is going to have to exceed the diagnoses that other people give you. Your faith is going to have to exceed what external people communicate to you. Some of you all have some of the worst news in the world. 
and you think it's the end. But I'm here to tell you it is not. Let me make it plain for you. I'm not saying that my faith will cure everything. Because I know sin is in the world and my body is constantly deteriorating. But what I am saying is my doctor didn't have the final diagnosis. What I am saying is that your circumstances doesn't have the final say-so. When you put your faith alone and Christ alone, he has a plan and he has a purpose and he has the final say-so. And so I stand before you right now, 266 pounds, 79 pounds lighter and getting cuter by the day. You see the nice shirt I got on right now. You see the pants that I have on right now. Somebody was like, is that a new shirt? I said, no, I just can fit it now. Come on now. Today I want to talk about faith. And I want to talk about the type of faith that misfits have in the kingdom of God. I want to talk about your faith. I want to poke your faith to ask you questions. Do you still believe in healing? Do you still believe in healing or has our modern medicine replaced our Messiah? Is there anyone who believes that God can heal you? That he can heal your situation? And if you believe that, stop allowing external things to define who you are. That's what I want to talk about today, faith. What is the faith of the misfit? And I want to use it, this declarative statement, not so much just a definition, but this declarative statement so it can attach to you personally. What is the faith of a misfit? The faith of a misfit does not fit in with the crowd. The faith of a misfit is not defined, is not derailed, is not even used against the faith of those who have put their faith in Christ. When you enter into chapter 9, that's what I think Matthew is trying to communicate. He's trying to exalt the faith of these people who are in broken situations. If you look at this text, there are two different stories here. And if you want to see how these stories are interwoven, how they connect with one another. There are three different things that you will see. You will see an approach, a touch, and one's faith. You will see how they approached who Jesus was, and then you will see that they believed that just by the touch of Christ, <laughs> see, we need some saints that can believe that if Jesus speaks from a distance, he can bring forth healing. These people say, if you just touch, whether directly or indirectly, then we will be healed. Which brings up the final verdict. Their faith. Their faith was the igniter to bring about the change that they were looking for. Look at with me in verses 18 and 19. In verses 18 and 19, it says this. While he was saying these things to them, behold, underline that, because you're going to see it again. Behold, a ruler came in 
and knelt before him, referring to Jesus, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Watch this. Jesus was having a discussion with the disciples of John about fasting. And while he was talking to the disciples of John, all of a sudden, this ruler interrupted him. Behold. And as soon as this ruler interrupted him, the story takes a shift away from fasting to, brother, what do you need? See, I'm going to say this now and I'm going to say it again. Jesus is not derailed by you interrupting him. You just become a part of the gospel narrative. Jesus is not thrown off by you invading his space. In fact, he was waiting for you to come all along. In Matthew's account, the ruler's proper name was not necessary, but his position was and his posture was. See, he was a ruler. He was a ruler of the synagogue. In other words, he had both credibility and authority in his community. But it was not his position that is so glaring. It is his posture. Notice how he approached Jesus. He demonstrated that he recognized that Jesus' authority was greater than his. When you approach Jesus, you have to recognize that his authority is greater than yours and anyone else that you consult. See, oftentimes when we go to Jesus, we, we are more concerned with relief than redemption. When we approach him, we're more concerned about the pain going away than we are concerned with the plan that he has. Oh, let, let, me, let me give you a little bit of this. Because some people look at this text and immediately say, but Jerry, he was desperate. And I say, I agree with you. He was desperate. But desperation doesn't always lead to faith. Sometimes your desperation is solely based on relief-driven faith. But Jesus says, no, when you come to me, I have a redemptive plan for your life. Do you know that painkillers can relieve you of the pain of having a broken arm? But only the surgeon can relieve you of the pain of mending the bone that was once broken. See, most of us are looking for painkillers when we need to be looking for the surgeon, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, because we're constantly going to things that never um, heal our situation. And the more and more you keep going back to those things, you're going to get the same result over and over and over again. You know what they call that? Being crazy. Loco. Stop going to the mechanic on the corner 
and start going to the real dealership that made your car. I don't got issues with mechanics on the corner. All I'm saying is the problem you have is bigger than him. It's bigger than her. We want relief. But Jesus wants your heart. We want relief. But Jesus has a plan for you. We want relief. But Jesus says, I can even use your situation for my glory. And so when you see this ruler going up to them, his desperation led to him putting his faith in Jesus. His desperation led to him forgetting that he was a ruler and understanding that he was a father. And he said, my daughter is dead. Death is final. Death is certain. There's two things that are certain in this world, death and taxes. <laughs> All right, it's April. It's almost April. You better get your stuff together. Because the IRS don't care about you. They will be on you. You believe in a God who has the power over life and death. Death is only certain if you do not believe in a God who has power and authority over life and death. See, the reason why my diagnosis wasn't certain to me is because I knew the God who made me. See, the reason why your situation isn't a dire situation is because the God who loves you and the God who has a plan for you is still calling you to draw near to him. I can only imagine what this synagogue ruler was thinking. Because up until now, Jesus had not healed anyone from death. So I can only imagine that what that synagogue ruler was holding on to is the God of the Old Testament. That he was holding on to Elijah and how Elijah raised a person from the dead. He was holding on to Elisha and how he rose a person from the dead. In other words, he looked all the way back to see what God did in the past. And when he was looking at Jesus in the present, he said he can do that right now. I wonder how many of us allow what God has did yesterday to inform our faith today. I wonder if we look back at the miraculous things that God has done in our lives over and over and over again. To prove to you the God of yesterday is the same God today and the God forever. See, I've seen healing before. I've experienced healing before. I was healed from one of the worst pains on earth, a broken heart. Anybody been there before? Girl, broke my heart, tore me up. I was laying in the bed with my mama. <laughs> they're like how old were you Jerry that, that, that's not a part of the story that's, don't, don't ask that question my heart was shattered it was in pieces 
And it was in that moment, it was in that moment where I called out to Jesus. And I tell this story not because I, I think it's everyone's story, but I think it was my story. And I remember calling out to Jesus, and as clear as I'm talking to you right now, there was this audible voice that came to me and says, I am the way. It was the most terrifying thing I had ever heard in my life. In fact, I got up and I started running. Literally, no joke. My, bro my brother was like, bro, where are you going? I'm like, you didn't hear that? You didn't hear that? And then I went to Bowling Green State University. And I met this brother named Christopher Hubbard. And he began to share the gospel with me. And you know what I found out? That I am the way was in John chapter 14, verse 6. First, he healed my soul. And then he gave me this beautiful woman named Tamara Wagner, and he healed my heart. I've been married to her now for 16 years. And she is by far one of the greatest things that have ever happened to me. Yesterday, I was like, baby, we need to hold hands. I was like, we need to hold hands. I hate holding hands. I hate holding hands and dressing like your partner. That's corny. <laughs> Let's hold hands. My hands, they get sweaty. Why would I do that? <laughs> but after 17 years, now I'm walking and holding hands. We even matched today. Look, she got on um, bright colors. I got on bright colors today. <laughs> Jesus has a plan. <laughs> Jesus has a plan for you, even in the midst of your mess. And so finally, our faith. Yes, he knew his daughter was dead. But he said, but come and lay your hand on her and watch this and she will live. She will live. This is a future tense, a predictive posture but the certainty that God will heal. He sincerely believed that Jesus was the answer to his situation. And it, and it caused me to think, what kind, of, what kind of faith is this? How can someone have such certainty in Jesus like that? And you know what I begin to think about and I, and I begin to boil it down to two things. It's based on how big your problem is and how big your God is. Like It's based on how you see your problem and how big you see your God. See, the reason why oftentimes our, our faith fails is not because you don't have enough of it. It's because you are looking at your problem so much that it makes your God seem small. But God is bigger than your problem. He's bigger than your circumstances. In this case, the woman, the, the uh, man's daughter, she's dead. That's one of the biggest problems on earth. And he still have faith. If this person had faith, my question to you is, then what's your problem? What's our problem? 
You don't think God can heal a heart? You don't think God can heal your finances? You don't think God can heal a wound that cannot produce babies? He's bigger than that. All throughout scripture, he has shown us how big he is. And the moment you allow your problems to be bigger than your God, your faith begins to fail. Your faith begins to fail. This, this ruler, he understood that Jesus is the answer and he's bigger than a problem. And it wasn't just out of desperation. It was out of deliverance. And so when Jesus saw this man's faith, while he was sitting at the table with the sinners, the Bible says that he rose and he followed with him. And while Jesus was walking, watch this, he was interrupted for a second time. <laughs> Jesus is walking. He's going to this ruler's house. He has a plan, and all of a sudden, he is interrupted by this woman who doesn't have position nor status. Remember what I said to you earlier about interruptions? Interruptions do not derail the plan of God. All interruptions do is show that you have a need, and then God makes it a part of his gospel narrative. Listen, you're going to have to get to a point in your life, in your faith, and you're going to have to stop thinking that your problem is too small. You're going to have to stop thinking that your problem is too great. You're going to have to stop thinking that Jesus is not going to heal me anyway, so why bother? Why bother? Jerry, I've already went to him. I've already presented this problem. I've already taken this thing to him. Here's what I would say to you. This woman was bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. Bleeding for 12 years. And not only was her issue about the blood flow, but her issue was also physical. Go talk to Dr. Dominguez. Go talk to Diamond and ask her, Diamond, how does blood loss after 12 years, how does it affect you? Well, the first thing it does to you is it depletes your strength. This, probably, this woman probably wasn't, didn't even have the strength to move from one part of the room to the next part of the room. But she got her tail up to go see Jesus. Not only does it affect your strength, but it also affects your heart rate. Can you imagine hemorrhaging for 12 years and having to take small steps to catch your breath? This is what this woman went through. It affected her blood pressure. It affected her body temperature. You know what happened to me when my body started detoxing from all the stuff that I had put in my body? I couldn't keep warm. I was freezing all the time. 
I had the heat on 80 in my house and a personal heater in, <laughs> in my, um, my office, and I had a cover around me, and I was telling Tamir, when you coming to bed, I'm cold. Like something was happening inside of my body that just threw me off. And so when I read this story about this woman having an issue of blood for 12 years, I knew it was also a physical issue. But not only was it a physical issue, it was also a ceremonial and ritual and spiritual issue. She was not allowed to be around people. She was not allowed to go to the synagogue. She was disconnected from her family, from her community, and she was pushed out. Not only was it ceremonial, it was also financial. Constantly trying to get fixed, trying to get healed. And I don't know if it was a medicine issue or a competence issue, but nonetheless, she went broke trying to receive healing. Why do I bring all this up? Well, the running reason why I bring it up is this. Your issue is not defined by the longevity of your suffering. It's defined by your approach to Jesus. I don't care how long you've been going through what you've been going through. As long as you have breath in your body, there's hope. I don't care what you have been going through, whether it's marital, whether it's financial, and you just cannot get a break. Every moment that Jesus gives you the miracle of life is an opportunity to be delivered. If this woman would have given up, all of us in here would have been like, we understand. If she would have quit, if she would have thrown in the towel, Everyone reading this text would have said, yeah, man, at least she has peace. But the Bible says that this woman pressed through the crowd. See, sometimes your faith is going to require you to press through and persevere. Like one of the things I hate right now, although I've lost weight, now I'm in this, this stationary position. I lost 70 plus pounds quickly, and now it's like one pound. And then I eat a piece of lettuce, and I got three pounds on me. And then I go run, and I lose that pound. I'm like, come on, body, what are we going through? And then I read this text, and I'm like, oh, Jerry, persevere. Sometimes God requires you to move from faith to faith. You know your last year of faith can't get you to, through this, this year of faith? What you did last year and how you believe God last year, it is not always translatable into the next stage of faith. You know why? Because God wants you to grow up. He wants you to grow up. It is not sufficient to quote just John 3.16. At one point, it's good. You can always pull it out of your, um, your tube belt. But right now, God is telling you to move on to 1 John. God is telling you to move on to James. God is telling you to grow up like any child of God is called to. This woman's faith was amazing because the Bible says that she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And I think she was praying, y'all. 
Because the Bible says, while she was saying to herself, she was encouraging herself. She didn't need anyone else to motivate her. She was encouraged. Like, I, didn't, I don't need anybody. Look, you can eat donuts, Snickers, all type of stuff in front of me now. Back in the day, I'm like, bro, can I, can I get a piece of that? But I'm tired. I'm tired of my body not responding. So you can eat Snickers, donuts, pizza, but the reality is I'm good. And you know what the beautiful thing about it? I can eat those things now. But why would I ever go back? See, when Jesus delivers you, why would you ever go back to what he brought you out of? Why would you ever succumb to the very thing that had you captive? When you are free in Jesus, watch this, you are free indeed. And so this woman said, if I only touch his garment, watch this, I will be made well. Once again, future tense, predictive posture, and certainty of healing. I asked this question earlier, and I'm going to ask it again. Does anyone believe in healing anymore? Have we been in the United States for so long that we think all of our technology can heal us? I was talking to uh, Brother Christo uh, about the East and India, and he began to share stories about demonic oppression and things of that nature. For some reason, in the East, they believe that God is still real. Somewhere in the East, they believe that spiritual forces are at work. But then when you get to the West, we too dignified to believe that Satan is after you. You, we, we get too dignified to believe that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. All we think we need to do is lock our door and he won't get in. He's like a roaring lion. And guess what? He's after you. And when he comes whether it's in the form of diabetes or in the form of relationships or in the form of financial issues, do you have the faith to stand? What type of faith is this for some people to say, Jesus, all you have to do is speak? For other people to say, Jesus, all you have to do is touch? And then for this woman to say, all, you, all I have to do is touch you. You know what this one, it, it communicates one simple thing. Jesus brings forth transformation to all those who put their faith in him. Jesus brings forth transformation to all those who put their faith in him. I love this last verse, verse 22. It says, in verse 22 it says, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Watch this. Before Jesus healed her, he saw her. <laughs> they missed that one too, uh, Sears. Before Jesus healed her, 
he saw her. In other words, Jesus knows what you are going through. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a high priest who can sympathize with all of our temptation and yet he has no sin. In other words, you have a high priest that sees what you are going through and he has not given up on you. So why are you on the verge of quitting? Before he healed her, he saw her. And then she went from being a woman with an issue of blood to a daughter. (laughs) To a daughter. She went from one who is outside of the community and outside of spiritual conviction and outside to community to Jesus Christ drawing her near and calling her daughter. Do you not know that you can go from being the creation of God to being the child of God? And so the question is, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Now, I, would be, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't tell you that misfits faith will always be challenged by either external things, external beliefs, or external people. So look at the final four verses in this um, book, verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute player and the crowd making commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went throughout all the district. There's two things I want to point out in what Jesus Christ did in these four verses. The first thing is that Jesus told the crowd to go away, and then he put the crowd outside. (laughs) Watch this. Jesus gave them his gospel and good message that the girl is not dead, but the crowd laughed at him. (laughs) Watch this. If you're going to have the type of faith that moved Jesus, then you're going to have to put outside beliefs that hinder you from exercising God's faith. You're going to have to put outside debilitating people who are in your life who weakens your faith. Listen, if you're going to have the type of faith that causes mountains to move, then you're going to have to put outside those things that bind you and hold you captive from being walking in the freedom that Jesus Christ has given you. Put it outside. And it's not to say that it's not going to show up. Those doubts are going to show up. And it's going to be loud and noisy like a flute player. And, then, and, and, and it's even going to tell you, you know what, man, listen, you don't you run a good race, man. Just rest. Like, it's going to show up. But I'm asking you to have the faith and the conviction that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. And that he will perform the promises that he has proclaimed and spoken upon you. When Jesus shows up, he's saying, put all doubt and put all disbelief and put some people that are in your life outside. 
Some of you are hanging with people that you should have been removed from your life. But they give you that relief. Because birds of a feather flock together, right? They give you that relief. Misery loves company. My pastor back in the day used to say, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest on top of it. Some of you are not only allowing birds flying over your head, but you're allowing people in your life to build nests that derail the faith that God has given you. Jesus came in and healed the girl. And what I love, finally, in that last verse, was that these reports went throughout all the district. And went throughout all, and Jesus' fame began to spread. In other words, the faith that God has given you is not about you, although it's for you, but it's to bring glory to Jesus Christ. I forgot a part in the story, and I'm going to land this plane. When I was sitting in the doctor's office, and he was looking at this dramatic transformation, and Tamara was in there with me because I needed, I needed my boo, man. I, need, I needed her. I'm like, babe, come, hey, she's like, I'm there, you know. And Tamara would just be like, what? The doctor said to me, he said, because of what I have seen in you, he was like, man, I, I may not prescribe metformin to anybody anymore. And it didn't stop there. Watch this. The next thing that came out of his mouth, he said, man, you even inspired me to lose some weight. He said, brother, what have you been doing? In other words, your faith can be fruit for other people. <laughs> listen, listen, your faith can be used to put on display the good news of Jesus. I looked that man dead in his eyes. I said, brother, my faith... It was rooted into Jesus having a purpose and a plan for my life. He was like, <laughs> oh, okay, I wasn't ready for that. I'm like, I know you wasn't. <laughs> and so my next doctor's appointment is in May. When he saw me, I was in the 70s. Next time he see me, I'm going to be in the 40s. And I'm just, I, when I get on that scale, I'm going to get naked and I'm going to be on there just like this. <laughs> I'm be on there like, bro, wait, no, nah, bro, wait me, man. Wait me. See, sometimes you got to be bold and say, Jesus Christ has transformed me. And you need to stand before the world and proclaim that Jesus Christ has done a work in you. And all those who put their faith alone and Christ alone can receive the same transformation. Some of you have been sitting too long under the banner of the good news and you haven't moved. But I'm here to tell you today, when Christ calls you by his faith, move. Move. I'm asking you to simply do this. As misfits of the gospel, put your faith in Jesus. How do I do that, Jerry? How do I put my faith in Jesus? Recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. 
all of these brothers and sisters who have been healed by Jesus, they recognized that there was nothing outside of him that could have healed them but Christ. And the moment you recognize that is the moment that your faith begins to be charged. The second thing is, understand that he is able. He's able. Even if Jesus Christ doesn't heal you, watch this, he's able to do it. The Hebrew boys, um, when they were thrown in the furnace, the fiery furnace back in Daniel, notice what they said to Nebuchadnezzar before they got put in the um, furnace. He was telling them, fall down and worship me. They said, no. He says, well, I'm going to throw you in the fire. He, they said, even if you throw us in a fire, fire, watch this, our God is able to deliver us. Where did their faith start? It didn't start in the furnace. It started before the furnace. See, some of us, our faith needs to start way before these circumstances come. Because when the circumstances come, no matter how hot it is, no matter how overwhelming it is, you can stand. It's about making much of him. For the Bible teaches us when Jesus Christ is lifted up, only then are men drawn to him. When you put your faith on display and through proclamation and demonstration, what happens is it begins to draw people to Jesus, which gives you opportunity to say, come see a man who told me all about myself. As the choir comes to the stage, I just want us to contemplate on our faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to contemplate on what Jesus Christ has promised you and then live in those. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm simply asking you this. Why keep going back to the same old things that haven't filled that void in your heart? Why keep going back to the same old things that haven't brought forth change. The choir is going to sing. Let us worship. Thank you again for listening to Mercy Street Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.